This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 24, My Cousin, Gene Larkin, with special guest Dan Zabrowski, recorded on March 10th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, episode 24, with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm good. The uh, highlight of my last week since we last spoke was uh, last year I bought a pinball machine that I'd been wanting to buy for years. And so I've had the pinball machine for about eight months. And Saturday, after eight long months, I finally beat the high score on the pinball machine. So uh, that and the baseball, those have been the highlights of my week. It's just pinball 1A, baseball 1B, right? Yes. In regular season baseball, it would maybe have a chance at being 1A. Uh, spring training's not going to beat out a pinball record. <laughs> what kind of pinball machine is it anyway? Uh, it is the Jurassic Park pinball machine from when the original movie came out. So it's a really? 1993 edition. Uh, it's the pinball machine I remember playing with my dad on a road trip. And then uh, there was a road stop between Chicago and Iowa City where I went to college that had the Jurassic Park pinball machine. So that's that's the one I had always wanted. And I finally got it last year. Wow, that is awesome. Is there a really underwhelming sequel to it 15 years later? <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm sure what's going on in the world of pinball these days? <laughs> I think it's slowing down just a little bit. So I think we've got a great show today. We just got a couple things up front, and then after that, we got our first guest ever since, well, since we came back, we've got our first guest of this new little reboot, which is Dan Saborski the, from ESPN, the developer of Zips, who you got to talk to for a good 40 minutes or so. Yep, we had a great talk. Yeah, lots of Indian stuff, lots of Ghostbusters and other not quite Indian stuff, which is still great. We had to rain in the Star Wars talk. We could have gone all night just on Star Wars. I'm sure I'll have to edit down maybe a tiny bit of that. <laughs> I, mean, I did go like, what, what, what are we at? Four hours, I think, something like that. No, it's too bad. So yeah, getting right into the direct Indian stuff. They've been playing spring training, which that luster wore off almost right away. But we haven't had any injuries, which is good that I've seen. Not a single person has been injured. Can't say the same for the Tigers, who I saw that Upton left the field with something. I don't know if anything came of that, but Justin Upton left with a, sh- a knee, I think. I don't know. I, I hadn't even heard. But, yeah, I mean, I probably just precautionary. They certainly aren't in a position where losing Justin Upton would do them any favors. <laughs> yeah. So then the only thing really Indians-related, I guess, is that two players they could have signed, they didn't which is the first Austin Jackson signed with the White Sox to a one-year, $5 million deal, and then first baseman, or probably should be DH, Pedro Alvarez signed with the Baltimore Orioles for a $1,005,500. So compared to those, I guess we can call the equivalent for the Indians with Austin Jackson, I guess would be the Rajai Davis signing, although I don't think he's going to get nearly as much time as Jackson would have. I think it's going to be more of a platoon situation, but either way, I'm happier with having Davis at what he made than getting... I'm happier with the idea of a Davis Naquin platoon than I am with the Indians just signing Jackson, I think. And then with Alvarez, I am way happier that they got Mike Napoli, even if it's um, Napoli was 7.5 million, I think, and go up to 10. But I'm way happier than that with Pedro Alvarez, uh, getting him who would be probably a downgrade to Santana, I would think, at first base defense. Um, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm definitely with you on preferring Napoli uh, to Alvarez. Uh, I. Yeah, I mean, Alvarez is not a defensive upgrade on anyone. Uh, I think, you know, he's 
he's probably got a higher floor than Napoli in terms of being less likely to just kind of totally fall apart. Um, but I feel like Pedro Alvarez is who Pedro Alvarez is. And, you know, he's going to hit some home runs. He's not going to get on base much. Uh, so I would definitely rather have Napoli. Uh, given the choice between the two, I'd rather have Jackson than Davis. They're at basically the same money. Um, and I am intrigued with the possibility of Tyler Naquin getting to be the center fielder. Um, but I'd rather have Jackson than Davis. But I mean, the thing like the, you can drive yourself nuts with that. The, the off season doesn't work where you get to see who signed for how much money at the end and then pick who your favorite team should have signed. Like right. Austin Jackson wasn't going to sign for one year, $5 million back in December. And if the Indians had waited thinking, Oh, you know, two and a half weeks, three weeks before opening day, he'll do that. Like there's no way to know that. So even if I would prefer him, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, good for the White Sox getting someone who I think is going to be an upgrade for them. And on that level, uh, you know, I don't like it as an Indians fan because, it, you know, it's a, another team in the division improving itself. Um, but I'm not losing any sleep over the Indians having signed Davis and not having signed Jackson. Yeah, and I think, like, uh, the report came out almost immediately afterward is that Jackson wanted more money to come to Cleveland anyway. So it would have been probably closer to what they signed Mike Napoli for, if not more. But they didn't want to. I can't blame him if they had that set at one. If they didn't want to spend more than five million on him, he wanted more. I can't blame him for not getting him. And I'm gonna set they didn't. Yeah, and once they had Davis, like also signing Jackson is basically punting on Davis. And you know, while I think yeah. Jackson has a better chance of working out well, like I don't think the Indians should just you know punt on a five million dollar investment who hasn't even played in the game for them yet. So. Um, you know, we've talked about the offseason before. Uh, I wish Jackson had signed that deal with someone else just so he wasn't playing on a team that the Indians are competing with this year. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if they if the Indians didn't sign Davis relatively pretty early in the offseason if they would have signed anybody different, but can't do anything about it now. And with Alvarez, how long do you think it's going to be before he hits two or three home runs before Santana hits one before everybody's calling? Well, why didn't they sign him instead? <laughs> I give it a week, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Indians fans don't need much to to jump on Carlos Santana. <laughs> so, I mean, it's spring training. Tyler Naquin looks great. James Ramsey doesn't. We're here. A couple more weeks. Do you have anything else from spring training you want to talk about? No, I, I mean, you know, most of the starting pitchers – have looked good. Um, Like you said at the the top, no one, no one important has any sort of significant injury. Zach McAllister's missed some time with the flu, but that's a different story. Um, No, I think, you know, mostly we're just kind of playing things out. Uh, Tyler Naquin's probably the most kind of notable player to watch just because the center field job is the one that's most up in the air. Nothing's really jumped out in terms of the fifth starter discussion that we had last week. I still think, you know, Tomlin's the front runner just, because of the service time stuff and options. Um, no, I think we're kind of into that, just hoping nothing goes wrong, which would be an injury. Yep, and I know Uribe got his first start, and he's fine, so. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to take a little tiny break here, and we come back. We're going to have Dan Zabrowski of ESPN. <laughs> Our guest this week is ESPN.com writer Dan Zimborski, who's also well-known for having created the Zips projection system. Dan, welcome to Let's Talk Tribe. Hey, hey, Jason. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, as I keep saying every week, baseball's getting closer and closer, so it's a good time of year. 
oh, it's a great time of year. And it, it, I don't have to dig out driveway anymore or, or any of that stuff, too. So so the sun and the groundhog and baseball, it's all it's all a blend of that spring niceness. I agree. And we I don't know about where, your neck of the woods. My neck of the woods, we had a super mild winter. So I sort of feel like the, the baseball offseason was a little thrown off. I didn't have as much digging out as usual. Oh, I'm in I'm in Ohio. We didn't have much. Are are you in Ohio too? I'm actually not. You would think so. I'm actually. Yeah, I, I always assume that everybody is in the city where they, where with, with the team they cover. But I know that's not true. So, so as I mentioned in your introduction, I think one of the things, probably the thing you're best known for, uh, is Zips, the projection system that you created. I think back was it 2003, 2002. Yeah, it was that time frame. It's it's always hard to have a conception date for Zips. The first. Official year of the projections was 2004. Okay. Uh, but it had been kind of in development for that. There were some experiments. It was, it was a slow-moving thing. I didn't just sit down and knock it out in a week, and then it was a projection system. It, sure. It took a long time. It was uh, a labor of love because no one was paying me anything for it at the time. But, but later it became a labor of money, which is an improvement over love. <laughs> so – what what drew you to the idea of, of putting a projection system together? What was given that it was going to be a labor of love? What was the sort of impetus? Well, it, it, it kind of stems from from some talks I had with a friend of mine named Chris Dial. Uh, he he's around the sabermetric community. Uh, he's actually one of the board members of Saber. Brilliant chemist. He's he's a brilliant guy. And we talked about in the nineties uh, about we could probably put together a basic projection system that did as well as essentially as well as some of the more complex ones that were kind of, you know, cloaked in secrecy because projections weren't a big thing back then. Uh, that's kind of the similar concept to what Tom Tango later did with Marcel, but, but he found that individually. He didn't steal any ideas. He, he, that was independent. I don't want to make it sound like Tom ripped us off. Uh, but we never actually did that. And it came later that I was blogging. This was like in the early days of, of, of blogs. And I was writing about transactions, and I figured, hey, you know what's useful for someone writing about the future, a projection system. I, I had some ideas for that. Uh, I had some ideas on implementing uh, some of Oris McCracken's research at the time, the DIPS research, sure. which is why ZIPS rhymes with DIPS. Ah. And uh, it, it developed from there. So you mentioned, uh, you know, in terms of what else was out there shrouded in secrecy, what else was out there? I don't, you know, I don't know when I first started paying attention to projections, but I guess it wasn't until 2004 or later because I don't really remember the pre-Zips projection era. Well, well, fantasy publications tended to have their own secretive little projection system. Baseball Prospectus had uh, their older projection system uh, that Clay Davenport developed. Uh, I forget if it was Vlad or Wilton at the time. It was, it was either one of those. Because they were cheap. This, this was the pre. These were the pre-Pakoda years, right? Uh, and so you mentioned fantasy things. I guess that's what I think of in terms of projections. I guess in my mind, until the last ten years or so, it always just felt like someone was just kind of like, I don't know, maybe twenty-nine home runs. It never felt. I mean, maybe it was. It was I guess probably more scientific than I thought. Did so? Did you just have the sense that you could put something together that would be better? I, I didn't know what I was getting into. I had no idea if it would work. I had no idea if it had value or anybody would like it. I just sat down and said, okay, let's do that. And let's and the origin story of the name, besides rhyming with dips, it's completely ridiculous, essentially, because I'm a completely ridiculous person. Because uh, it started out to rhyme with zips. 
I, I, I couldn't think of a player to use as an acronym because that tends to be more popular. So I, I just uh, decided, okay, uh, Zimborski projection system. Uh, but that was SIPS. And I thought SIPS sounded like some kind of weird upscale juice box that hipsters like. You know, grab some SIPS. Uh, so I, I made a little I and a little S initially because it reminded me of Kit of Chips, California Highway Patrol, because that was one of my two favorite shows as a kid, along with Dukes of Hazard. Uh, but the S, I accidentally capitalized it the first time, and that's how it stuck. <laughs> this is a real story. They printed that story in ESPN Magazine a few years ago because that is a true story. It's a great story. Uh, the I like the changing from Sips. Have you ever thought about maybe going back to do the Hipster Juice Box Company? I I don't know. Uh, there's there's a lot of competition around the juice box company, like the industry, and I don't want to I don't want to end up with a uh, a juice thing like Capri Sun. I hated Capri Sun. You know the pouches. Oh yeah, yes, you'd, yes. You'd always put the straw and it would go through the back. <laughs> I always just aimed for the bottom. It was a much bigger target. I'm just gonna flip it over. I'm not someone who needs to set their juice box down. I can just hold it and 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 drink it kind of in one go. So the the, the tiny hole on the Capri Sun was not for me. Uh, well, all, I always failed at Capri Sun. It's one of the biggest failures in my life. Is I I don't think as a child I ever successfully drank a, a Capri Sun without making a mess. It's never too late. I don't know. It seems kind of weird being a man pushing forty just buying himself some Capri Sun. <laughs> It feels like there's an age appropriateness for that. Kind of like the best juice box at the time when I was a kid uh, was the High C Ecto Cooler, and it had Slimer on it. It's coming back for the new movie. Ecto Cooler will be back. Are you serious? Yes. I don't know oh. if it's in juice box form or container form, but uh, they've confirmed that Ecto Cooler will be back. So regardless oh. of your other oh. feelings about the project, I'm excited about the movie. Ecto Cooler coming back is... Oh, I was I was worried about the remake because I, I generally don't want to see remakes of things that I liked when I was a kid because it means I'm old enough for there to be a remake. But for some Ecto Cooler? Yeah. Man, I think that'd be worth it. I hope it tastes the same. I, yeah, I, well, yeah. If it, if it doesn't, people are going to riot. So yeah, it, 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 it will ruin my childhood and my life by extinction if it doesn't taste as good as I remember. Well, speaking of formulas, uh, whatever... <laughs> Whatever the formula or equations for Zips are, um, how did you put them together initially, and how much have they changed in the dozen or so years since then? Well, I've been able to do a lot more simply because computers are a lot more powerful then. Back at that time, I was running a Pentium 4. Uh, didn't have a lot of RAM compared to today. I don't remember how much RAM, but computers can process a lot more data than they used to be able to. So you can do more things. Uh, Zip is essentially the product of, of literally... Hundreds of mini studies where I have to, where you have to, you know, study the interactivity of different variables uh, from basic statistics to uh, descriptive variables like speed score and the like. Uh, Zips is, there's a lot of sweat equity in Zips. There's more sweat than genius in Zips. People are always like, you must be super smart. I'm like, no, I'm not really super smart. I just put a lot of work into it. Uh, Sean Foreman, that's, that's a smart guy, baseball reference guy. That's a smart guy. Uh, but I'm just the guy who spent a lot of time doing this. So you're saying Sean Foreman is smart but lazy? Oh, no. But he, he has his own <laughs> I, know, I, I I don't want to get him the idea of doing a projection system because uh, Sean Foreman is probably the smartest guy in, in Sabermetrics, possibly. 
uh, and he would make a projection system that would, you know, crush us all and and wipe out our families. Just that's he's a he's a smart guy. Well, and he gave us the play index, which is like for me the greatest baseball gift there's ever been. Oh, it, it's 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 a it's a nerd paradise to play index. <laughs> it is absolutely worth the money. Yeah. You know, it's like my best investment every year is the 30, 35 bucks, whatever it is to have my play index subscription. Anyone listening, you should go get a play index subscription. It's a blast. Uh, So computers are more powerful. You can do more with it. Um, So year to year, what kind of tweaking goes on? Do you look at what was off in the last year and try to figure out how, I mean, what's, what, what goes on there? Well, generally, the sources of bias are easy are easier to ring out, and most of that is um, is has been wrung out over the years. Like, for instance, young players versus old players; those those, those specific problems are kind of the low hanging fruit, and most of that has been resolved. Uh, the challenge from year to year is generally twofold. Uh, one, it's incorporating new data, figuring out what it means from a predictive standpoint and how to implement it into the existing model. And two, is different kinds of information a projection system can give me. When I started, Zips only gave me essentially the baseline projection. Now I get entire careers for players. I can tell you the odds of someone hitting 27 home runs in 2018 if I want to. Uh, there's, there's a lot there's a lot more you could do. And the more you can do with a projection system, the more interesting questions you can tackle. Uh, because a projection system really is a baseline estimate of the future. And that, of course, has a lot of applications. Sure. So when you, uh, when you talk about you know, career projections and things like that, um, is that stuff you put out as much? I feel like, I mean, the, what's coming up in 2016 is certainly what people are most interested right now. Is there somewhere people can check out like the longer term stuff? Is that kind of things you just put into you know, things that you write when it's appropriate? Or what do you do with that data? Oh, a lot of a lot of stuff I hoard greedily, like a war profiteer. Uh, I I release I've released the base projections for free for a long time. Uh, I think those have a lot of value, but there's always some stuff that I like to you know keep for the readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 I don't know. I get maybe it's cynical in some way, but I I do like to save interesting things for different times because. I am a writer, and I do want people to come read what I write and not just know everything ahead of time. Right. War profiteer. I just like saying that. So, so how much would it cost to find out uh, the chances that Francisco Lindor gets 3,000 hits in his career? Oh, well, that I could tell you. I, I'm not going to charge for everything. Uh, I have him at 12% right now. All right. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. For Zips who's... likes him very much. Uh, right now, the mean projection for his career is uh, 2393 hits and 56.7 additional war compared to what he already has. That puts him around 60. Yeah, so he... uh, that that's a good that's a good midpoint career. I'm actually borderline really... Hall of Fame. So yeah, well, in a normal Hall of Fame, not in this weird Hall of Fame we have. But that well, be who a... knows what the Hall of Fame will look like by 20, how whatever, however many years it is before he's there. I'm hoping some things have gotten smoothed out by then. Yeah, by by war remaining among hitters, Lindor actually ranks sixth in baseball in zips. Wow, uh, behind Trout, Harper, Correa, Machado, and Bryant. Okay, that's so good company. That's, that is very good company. There's... Uh, people people will probably say, "Oh, it's a fluke," but you know, when a when a 
when a 21-year-old hit like he did last year and took that big step up, even if there's a small regression back, he's established a new baseline level of play. He's a terrific defensive player. Uh, his top comp is Julio Franco, if, if, if you're curious. Interesting for Indians fans. Uh, and so that means that he's going to play until he's like 80. <laughs> yeah. You know, Julio, yeah, Julio Franco, I mean, his story began when he emigrated uh, in 1870. <laughs> I read a few months ago that he was still playing last year. I can't remember if he was back in the Dominican or the Mexican League, but he was like a, a coach who still like once a week was in the lineup at the age of like 57 or however old he is. Julio Franco's amazing. Yeah, there's there's always those guys that you can't take them out of baseball. It was um oh, what was that league? The United League. This was 2014, I think. Uh he appeared in a few games for the uh one of the teams. Uh Ricky Henderson was like that too. He kept playing until they stopped letting him play essentially. <laughs> I mean, he 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 had his last year in the majors he was 44 i think i don't actually have it in front of me but he also played a couple more years in independent ball right. uh, and actually still played really well i think he was like 46 and had a like a 450 on base percentage in the independent baseball and of course the quality is much lower in, in, in independent baseball league but still he was 46 yeah well you're actually actually i just opened it up now uh wow uh, at 45 years old, um, he was playing for Newark in the Atlantic League. Right. And Ricky Henderson, he still hit 281, 462, 436 <laughs> with 37 stolen bases and two caught stealing. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced he wouldn't put up a 350 on base percentage right now. Yeah. He's he's gonna be 58 this year. Someone should bring him back. Yeah, he's probably better than Jeff Francoeur. <laughs> well, that's that's a low bar. He's probably better than a lot of guys. <laughs> well, I'm I'm being I'm being conservative and, and respectful to Jeff Francourt. Um, so what what amount of the work that goes with zips is done uh, during the off season versus during the season? Well, the off season is when I run all the projections for real. Uh, so there's a lot of work done in the off season. Usually tinkering happens during the middle of the season. I don't want to be tinkering while I'm running projections. Then I get slow and the projections fall behind and people get mad at me. And they send me tweets about saying, when is X going to go? And I can't say, oh, no, I'm doing something else. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't answer like that, but you know what I mean. So then uh... – when you're less busy with that is when you, is that when you can just do more writing or do you just kind of sit back and enjoy the show? Well, I'm always writing there. That, that never stops. Uh, I mean, they, they pay me to be a writer. So they kind of expect me to write fairly regularly. Uh, it would, it would be weird. If they just gave me money for doing nothing. Uh, but <laughs> and how does, <laughs> that, that's the dream. of everyone. You know, isn't we it? don't need to get into your personal finances, but so you write for ESPN uh, zips is at least primarily housed at Fangraphs, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm I a writer for ESPN, and ESPN doesn't, like, own Zips or have any exclusivity to Zips. Essentially, I'm I'm paid to be a writer who has an interesting secondary skill set. Okay. Uh, I know there, there's always this this belief that every that most of the people in sabermetricians, and I've been in sabermetrics for 20 years now, essentially, there's this belief that most saber guys are essentially slumming it as writers until they can get a front office job. Uh, but while, I mean, I've done consulting in the past, as a lot of these guys have, 
Uh, I prefer working in media. I prefer being a writer. Uh, I kind of say the serial is the prize. All right. What is it that what is it that you think you would would, would be worse off working for a team? What is it you is it the just the actual writing or is it there's it's more it's just not a great fit for my skill set. I've, I've worked very hard to become a solid writer, and I think I'm a pretty good one. I, I mean, nobody's complained about my writing, and they keep paying me, so I assume my writing's okay. Uh, and also, I'm a very talkative person. I'm a very social person, and there's no way I couldn't be active, you know, in social media talking about things. I don't like just. I don't want to just sit in a room and crunch numbers and, and do that kind of thing. Uh, I like. I like what I do. I have a great job, and I. Maybe when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to work for a team, but as I've grown an adult, I think I have, you know, I've found like a better dream in a way. Well, that's good. That sounds like a good situation. Um, how much of, so, you, you know, you're writing year round. Uh, this time of year, I have to imagine most of what you hear from people is related to the projections. Uh, oh, oh yeah, this is a this is the big projection time of the year. Right. Uh, we I was just uh, we're having the uh, our usual ESPN magazine baseball preview, and of course there's a lot of zips in there, and and this is the time where you start to see team standings and people get mad at me the most, but that's okay. If you, if they can't love you, you want them to hate you. It's it's when it's when they have apathy that you're in trouble as a writer. <laughs> what percentage of the feedback would you say is anger from people about the projections? Probably the majority because. It's it makes more sense to protest at something you don't like than to send like fan mail, and really I kind of get more entertained by hate mail than fan mail because hate mail uh, I I can't really take myself too seriously generally, and when people are like man I love your work I'm like okay good, but when someone sends me like hate mail uh, that's that's usually completely incoherent it just like makes my day. Uh, like I don't know if you saw the Murray Chass thing. Yes, a few months ago. You should you should tell people about the Murray Chass thing. Oh, uh, the Murray Chass thing. Well, for those that are familiar, Murray Chass uh, was this old baseball writer uh, who who covered labor issues very well uh, for a long time. But as he lost, as he got older, he became kind of bitter and angry about sabermetrics and kind of hates everyone in sabermetrics. So in his yearly blog entry, where he talks about his Hall of Fame ballot. He spent the first half of his blog entry just being really mad at me. He he wrote my name like 30 times. Like, who is this? Zimborski? Zimborski? And at the end, he couldn't figure out if my name was Zimborski or Zimbabski, which he started typing at some point. I, I'm not making you up, making this up. Uh, so, and then he called me the Digital Dandy, which is the nickname I've adopted because it's an amazing nickname. It's an amazing nickname. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's like, thanks, Murray. This is awesome. I uh, I would pay good money to be branded yeah, with that kind of nickname. It's yeah, you. I got a personal nickname. That is, that's something you can't just buy. And the nice thing is now, you know, many years from now, your tombstone is largely sorted out for you. Yeah, uh, I, I never really thought of that, but I hope I, I yeah, that, that wouldn't be bad on the tombstone. I can, <laughs> I can have that. I can have a nice snarky quote about myself. Uh, well, then that. I won't get to see it, which is a disappointment. But, but uh, it, the the funny thing was is I got into the Baseball Writers Association that same week, uh, and actually I think I was actually more excited about the Murray Chess than, than getting into the BBWWA, uh, even though that has really good professional benefits since uh, access is easier, 
I can, you know, vote on awards and vote for the Hall of Fame in 10 years. Uh, so, so really, I have no complaints about 2016 so far. Uh, but we got a long, long way to go. <laughs> so you met, you know, angry fans. How often do you see the outputs of the projection system and find yourself sort of, are you, are you still surprised by them at times? Or at this point, do you feel like you kind of know what they're going to tell you ahead of time? I, I am occasionally surprised uh, because, I mean, it's, there, there are a lot of algorithms involved, and sometimes there's some edge cases that are pretty surprising. Uh, I think Adam Warren of the Cubs this year, Zips actually loved Adam Warren as either a reliever or as a starter uh, much more than I would have loved him. But it's, it's interesting. A lot of times it's the most controversial ones that Zips is right on, and the things I know that Zips is correct on turn out to be terrible. Uh, and sometimes in the wrong direction. I remember um, some years ago before Cliff Lee's breakout, Zips actually projected Cliff Lee to be better than pretty much anyone did. But Zips was still wrong, just in the wrong direction. <laughs> Cliff Lee had a very odd career of like a couple pretty, you know, average solid years and then completely fell apart. And Indians fans sort of, I wouldn't say was written off, but stopped thinking he might be anything special. And then suddenly he came back and was awesome and was, I mean, one of like the two or three best pitchers in baseball for five or six years. It was an odd career. The funny thing is that if you look back at the Bartolo Colon trade, almost like the entire, most of the trade was active for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, Phillips, Cliff Lee, Colon himself, Grady Sizemore, he kept coming back, but I mean, he did just play last year. Now, Lee Stevens and Tim Drew didn't earn around, but that was actually a pretty good success rate for that trade. And Cologne's still around, and he might actually, there's, a, there's at least a chance that Cologne is the last player standing yeah. from that trade. I was talking to someone about that exact thing. He's he's now officially the last former Montreal Expo and might outlast all of the guys from that trade, which is Yeah, he only has Brandon Phillips. I mean Cliff Lee. Has Cliff Lee announced and I just missed it? Or is he still in that kind um, of um agent has kind of said like yeah he's not coming back. I don't think he's held like a press conference. Yeah I I, I could I'm remember sorry. one. I didn't know maybe if I missed one. Yeah, we've had like our, you know, we'll miss you Cliff Lee stuff, uh, but I don't think Cliff has officially said anything. It's just been through his agent. But it, it's really weird when a veteran is traded for prospects, most of the prospects work out and the veterans still outlast them. Right. I mean, Brandon Phillips is still around, but there's at least a chance that that Cologne outlasts him, yeah. which, which would be pretty awesome because, it's, I mean, what's going to happen to Cologne? Is he going to get out of shape? <laughs> like what is different in five years for cologne that isn't now well and so to connect back with who we mentioned earlier you know bartolo might play until he's 50 and if you go back to the 1997 indians bartolo's rookie year who was one of his teammates julio franco well he was like he was a, he was a spry 65 yeah, but i think you know the two of them they they put their heads together and julio passed a few secrets on to bart I'm trying to think who else was around. Was 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 uh, was 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 Franco the oldest player on that team? I mean, in listed age. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Probably like the like Dave Winfield and Eddie Murray were on the '95 Indians team, uh, but they weren't there by the time '97 rolled around. So I'm not positive. And Julio Franco wasn't like a key part of the '97 team or anything like that. Uh, but- Hershiser is Hershiser's. Um, 
birthday before or after Franco's list? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they're the same. They're the same age. Uh, okay, Hershiser was there. What was the name of that lefty picture? I can't remember. Assenmacher. Oh yeah, but no, he was younger. Oh, he was younger. Okay, it's, I thought it's, he was it's Franco old. or Hershiser, give or take when their birthdays are. See, all lefty relievers, you automatically assume they're thirty-nine. <laughs> well, and Paul Assenmacher looked like he was thirty-nine when he was twenty-nine. So, well, he had a, he had a good mustache for at least a while. He was a, he was a solid reliever. He was he was a solid. That kind of guy. Every team should have one of those guys. And he he played for a lot of teams. You know, he had a fun career. He did. I bet we didn't, you didn't expect us to get into Assenmacher talk. <laughs> he also looked a lot like my childhood friend's uncle. And so for a while, I thought my childhood friend's uncle was Paul Assenmacher. That would be, be an interesting relation. <laughs> I think when you're a kid, like, you just fall into the trap of thinking everyone might be someone my 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 mom's maiden name my mom's last name is larkin and as a kid i thought barry larkin was probably my cousin which turned out not to be i assume <laughs> turned out not to be the case. <laughs> well, uh, is it? My, my my sister uh one of her childhood friends was eduardo perez's cousin solid so so that was for real nice um and there's there was a minor league picture, Tom Zimborski, uh, who I forget how I'm related to. I used to know, but he, he was in uh, the Padres minor league system at the time. Uh, and they're not a lot of Zimborskis. Uh, hey. So if you see a Zimborski, they tend to be related to me. <laughs> That's what I would figure. It turns out there's more than one branch of Larkins. So Barry Larkin, not my cousin. Were you related to Gene Larkin, though? That, that's uh, possible. No, I mean, that would have been more probable, but apparently not related to Gene Larkin either. Oh. Because, you see, if you tell people related to Barry Larkin, they think you're a liar. <laughs> but if you tell people my cousin is Gene Larkin, no one's going to accuse you of making that up. They're not going to say, yeah, you, you, you're just talking like you're related to Gene Larkin, like a big shot. <laughs> Look at you, name-dropping. Famous cousin Gene. You're such a liar. Well, my dad's Danny Gladden, so bleh. <laughs> this this whole discussion presumes you're talking to someone who knows the 1991 twins pretty well. Who? Why wouldn't you? Well, that's a good question. But there's what a kind lot. Of mon- what kind of monster doesn't know the 91 twins? Really? What kind of monster? I, I can't answer you because you've got a lot of things going on there. You've got the Jack Morris branch. You've got there's you know Kirby. Herbeck, there's a lot of, a lot of, Herbeck, Chuck Knobloch, yep, uh, Greg Gagne, who couldn't pronounce his last name properly, Gary Gaetti, there's a lot going on in that team, um, Rick Aguilera, Denny Nagel, uh, Steve Petrosian was on that team, wasn't it, yeah, was Denny Nagel was on that team, yeah, Denny Nagel was, was on that, was on that team, I don't think he, I don't think he, he appeared in the playoffs, but, he was drafted by the Twins, uh, and he was he was traded uh, in the John Smiley trade to Pittsburgh. All right. I will take your word for it. I do not recall him from the 91 Twins. I am not making this up. All right. And, and, and if you look it up and I'm wrong, you, you have permission to dub into the podcast, Dan Zaborski is liar. <laughs> no, but it's like saying you're related to Gene Larkin. No one's going to think you're making that up. You must clearly be telling the truth. Yeah, my best friend was Jeff Rebelay. <laughs> now I'm bummed out that I don't actually have a best friend who is a relatively minor former major league player. I'm sorry. 
Tom Savorsky didn't make the minors. He washed out at Double A, so he, he wasn't really a major leaguer. I, I grew up down the street from Justin Olson, who pitched in the Twins minor league system, and had a book written about him. He was one of two subjects of the book who were both minor leaguers for the Twins, and the other one was Francisco Liriano. So there's a book out there, I believe, called Throwing Bullets that is about all-star pitcher Francisco Liriano and Jason Lucart childhood friend Justin Olson. So I think that's my closest baseball connection. My closest was Justin Singleton. Uh, that was Ken Singleton's son. Uh, I played against him in Little League, uh, and he hit two home runs off of me. He didn't make the minors, but he did. I mean, he didn't make the majors, but he did make it to AAA. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, and I didn't know his name at the time. People just called him Ken Singleton's son. <laughs> oh, that's, that's that's kind of a bummer. For that's him. sad. You don't have your own identity. <laughs> um. So when the when your when Zips projections, do you think of them as your projections or Zips projections? There, there's a whole psychological ball there between what's me and what's the computer, and I, I sometimes talk about it in an anthropomorphic nature. Uh, I, I think a psychologist could probably dissect quite a bit from my relationship with Zips, uh, but I it, it it varies. Sometimes it's my enemy. Sometimes it's an extension of me. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a stranger. <laughs> when it's wrong, which one is it? Oh, when it's wrong, it's it's someone else's zips. I, I see when when it when zips is really really wrong about something. I'm like, oh, I can't do anything about it. It's the computer fault. I mean, I mean, you're talking to me, but I, I don't know what you want me to do about it. That sounds like my wife talking about our dog. When she's well behaved, she's her dog or our dog, and when she's a monster, she's my dog. Plausible deniability is an important part of life. Uh, are there, are there, so you, you mentioned uh, Adam Warren earlier. Looking at over the Indians numbers, is there anyone for this year that you feel like uh, you would take the over or under in terms of overall performance from? I'm not really sure about Bradley Zimmer. Uh, Zips actually thinks that he could play in the majors pretty much okay right now. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, I, I would take uh, the over on Clevenger. Yeah, he's been really impressive lately. Zips, Zips, Zips wasn't into him. Uh, those, those are the ones that really jump out at me. Zips finally buys Carlos Carrasco. Uh, never buys Josh Tomlin, but who would want to buy Josh Tomlin? <laughs> uh, so you mentioned Clevenger. So, you know, you said uh, you're higher on him. Can you pinpoint what it is in his track record that zips is seeing that's causing uh, a lower projection than you would maybe, you know, off the cuff have come up with for him. It, it most likely comes down to his minor league translations. I, I don't actually have those in front of me, so I can't give like a super specific here. I'm typing really fast as we talk. So, <laughs> so, so filibuster a little uh, while I, while I find this so out. Clevenger who, who came on really strong last year uh, and has looked great in camp in the last, you know, spring training so far and is getting rave reviews from uh, Francona and people who are watching there. So he's someone who a lot of Indians fans two weeks ago maybe hadn't heard of, but are starting to hear about a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, look, looking at his, at his translation, uh, Zips was worried about before last season, the walk rate, uh, it, it was too high. I mean, he, 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 did have an ERA of nearly five and a half at A ball, uh, and he was twenty three at the time. So you can see why a computer might not 
understand completely. I think he's turned the corner. I think he'll beat Zips. So that's definitely the one Indian I'd point out is as beating his projection. His projection's lousy. He'll he'll do better than that. All right. Well, and you mentioned Zips finally buying into Carlos Carrasco. I see that uh, the number one comp for Carrasco was Kurt Schilling. Uh, so yeah, that that's a pretty good comp. Yeah, Zips was already always on the fence because he never really matched his peripheral numbers. Uh, but of course, last year his peripherals were so good that even if he didn't match them, it, there was enough of a lag there to still make him a really excellent pitcher. Uh, I don't know if he'll ever really match his FIP regularly, uh, but he doesn't really need to. Right. Uh, how do the – is there a time frame for the comps? Like, It's it's recent years. It's not saying that he's going to have Kurt Schilling's career. It just says that in his late 20s, he's vaguely similar statistically to Kurt Schilling in his late 20s. Gotcha. That's all it's saying. Uh, people always look – when they see like a one, – one common thing is – when an okay second base prospect gets Robinson Cano at the top of his comps list and be like, well, so you're saying it's going to become Robinson Cano. I'm like, no, I'm saying he hit like Robinson Cano and most prospects like Robinson Cano don't become Robinson Cano because he had, he had some serious holes in his game as, as a prospect uh, that went away really quickly in the majors, but it, it's not the typical path for someone who's comparable to 21 year old Robinson Cano. My my favorite Zips comp this year for the Indians is Josh Tomlin, whose number one comp is Oil Can Boyd. Oh, I love the oil can, oil, dude, I can't say I can't say oil for some reason. I love the oil can oil can Boyd. I'm I've got I've got mumble tongue. Uh, my favorite is how Minas how Zips is picking cruel comps for uh, Byron Buxton of Twins every year for some reason. Uh, I, I don't know why. It's almost like it's trying to be cruel to Twins fans. And there's no way it, it has that kind of knowledge. But last year, the top comp for Byron Buxton was Carlos Gomez. Which, I mean, he became a good player, but not in Minnesota. Right. This year, his top statistical comp was Lasting's Millage. Ooh. I mean, Adam Jones was number two, and Carlos Gomez, again, was number three. But having that top comp of Lasting's Millage, uh, it... it uh, we'll, we'll see next year if Zip stops trolling Twins fans. <laughs> I hope it ne- I hope it never stops trolling Twins fans. Uh, the, the the there's projected standings at Fangraphs too. Do you know? Do those incorporate Zips or are those like a totally separate thing? They incorporate Zips, but that's what they run. They're not canon Zips. Uh, I don't know if you're into Star Wars. Oh. Are you into Star Wars? <laughs> you just. Uh... I don't want to get sidetracked for the next three hours. We can we can have a whole separate podcast sometimes just about, yes, I am into Star Wars. I actually, I was actually on the same flight as Christina Carl um, huh? a few weeks ago. Because uh, we were both... Star Wars? Oh, yeah. We, we were talking on the plane because we were, we had a flight from uh, Hartford to Chicago. Uh, and, and I switched seats so that we could sit next to each other and talk. And we, we, we made we talked about Star Wars almost for for three hours of, of the flight. Just just the things about Star Wars, you know, about how everybody's everywhere is the something planet and whether they'd have strip clubs if everybody's a clone, it'd be really weird if you went to a male strip club and all the other guys look just like you. <laughs> uh, we, we we had a lot of discussions about Star Wars. Oh, but anyway, the relevant thing is I, I think I zips, my track. The fan standings use ah, ah, sort of okay, zips. Now I, novels of... Okay, now I remember the connection. There actually was a connection. 
Uh, the zip projections are like that I give out. That's like that's like the top George Lucas canon. Well, other uses of zips are kind of like the extended universe. Right. Uh, uh, Fangraph's use of zips that's kind of like Admiral Thrawn, which yeah. it's related to zips, but it's not the core George Lucas canon zips. I understand which... your analogy perfectly, and I don't care if anyone else does. <laughs> Well, that, that, that's the fun, because it's not always fun to make jokes if everybody's going to get it. There's <laughs> kind of this delicious arrogance of having a joke that's beyond oh. people like, huh, <laughs> you wouldn't understand. Fetch me my slippers. So I've got the non-canon zip standings in front of me. Yes. Um, they've got the Cubs with the best record in baseball, 96 wins. I will, I will, I will reveal that that generally stays up that when you see the ESPN projections, there will be a lot of Cubs-related goo Yeah. Well, understandably. They're living in Chicago. I've sort of been waiting for them eventually to get their act together and and, and be what they could be, and it looks like they're finally doing that. I, I, I hope so, because, you know, there's a for a projectionist, there's kind of this sad moment when you've realized – Okay, I've projected the Cubs to win the most games in baseball and to be the favorite to win the World Series. There's there's that, that moment of just of horror when you realize that your predictions are reliant on the Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> That's what happens to have to make me look smart. They only have to win the division. Then you can always fall back on the playoffs being a crapshoot, anything can happen. As long as they win their division, I feel like you can say it did pretty well. Yeah, but we use that excuse so often that even if true, it, 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 it's hard to say anymore and not have people roll their eyes at you. The uh, the projected standings also have, with uh, 86 wins, have the Indians winning the Central, uh, and then have the Tigers and White Sox both right at 500, have the Twins and the Royals at 77. I have to think anyone who does any sort of projections even non-canon related to projection standings, the Royals is what you're hearing the most about. Oh, probably. But you see, the nice thing is, is Zips was pretty off with the Royals last year, but it wasn't as off as the other projections were. <laughs> so I could say I was only half as bad because Zips at least projected the Royals to win 81 or 82 games last year, which of course was off. But when they win 96 games, you're better off projecting 81 or 82 than like 73 uh, but really, the, the story of the American League is that the difference between the top team in the AL and the bottom team in the AL by projections in zips, it's only 11 games between the number one team projected by wins and the, and the number 15 team projected by wins. Uh, if you look at the National League, the difference between the top team and the bottom team in projected wins is 26 wins. Uh Essentially, by zips, the top five teams and the bottom five teams in baseball are the National League. And the AL is kind of all in this muddly middle. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, everything I'm seeing plays out the same. It feels like uh, there's like seven teams that might make the playoffs in the National League and pretty close to 15 teams that have at least a puncher's chance in the American League. Yeah, that, that's the thing about the American League. I, I mean, I would call the A's and Twins as having uphill battles to win, the to make the playoffs. But the thing about the American League is you can make an argument for any team to make the playoffs and not sound like a complete idiot. 
Well, that's good. It's it's nice to be able to not sound like a complete idiot. Yeah, I can't. I won't be able to convince anyone the A's are good or good have a good chance at the playoffs. But I can convince. I can put enough ifs and buts that it at least can sound remotely plausible. Now I try to make a case that the Phillies are going to make the playoffs. Right. Yeah, people look at you like you are just biggest idiot. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, and at some point it feels like. and I don't know if projections is like once there's bad teams, the good teams get to play more games against the bad teams, which kind of pushes the gap between them farther and farther. It would seem like. Yeah, there's there's that kind of polarizing, and there's not there's not enough uh, interleague play games to to cancel that out. Right. So I mean, yeah, like the Mets and Nationals are at least in theory going to be fighting with each other all year, but they're going to be. Again, in theory, beating the crap out of the Phillies and Braves a whole lot of times, too. Yeah, that nice job if you can get it. <laughs> Playing the Braves and Phillies uh, a lot, that, that's, that's, that's a very good thing. So coming back, just kind of to close things up with the AL Central. So again, we ran through the, the projections uh, that, that put the Indians on top. If you had to bet your right to see uh, Star Wars Episodes 8 and 9 when they hit theaters on who wins the AL Central this year, which team would you pick? I actually have the Indians. All right. I guess that, I guess that would have been pertinent information, but I didn't want to reveal it. Quite <laughs> no, I actually... Okay, the, right now, the zip standings uh, for the AL Central, the, the mean projection, uh, is Cleveland 84, three teams at 83... And the Twins at seventy-seven, so that is a pretty close division. The, the divisional odds are ridiculous. It's like twenty-seven, twenty-three, twenty-two, twenty-two, five. Um, it's it's a division where a lot of different things can happen. Uh, there's just a lot of scenarios, really, and we don't have to make crazy scenarios for four of the teams. It's it, there's, there are no great teams in the AL. Uh, I know there's gonna be people saying, "Well, well, the Royals won the World Series. They're a great team," but no, they're not. <laughs> Let's not be ridiculous. They're 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 a good team. They have some they have some flaws. Uh, they're not unstoppable. Uh, but really, we are going to have to just wait and see. If the Royals outplay projections individually and as a team, like is that if they do it again? Because this would be like the third or fourth year in a row. Like, at what point is that just an annoying headache to you? And at what point do you just kind of laugh? Like, or do you laugh it off? I I don't know. I I tend to laugh things off. I don't. Because, you see, when you do a lot of projections, you're aware with what the error range is. Because there's a thought experiment that goes along with this. Is Imagine that you know that all 30 teams are exactly 500 to win every game. You would still expect six teams to win 73 or fewer games or uh, 89 or more games, simply from random chance. And that's when you know for a fact the exact strength of all 30 teams. And you never even know that with any kind of accuracy. And you never even know if you're right or not. Uh, if a team wins 90 games, you're never really quite sure if they're a 90-win team or an 88-win team that got lucky or a 92-win team that got unlucky. You never even get to really know if you're right or not. Uh, so we're predicting the future. It, the future is extremely foggy. All we can do is peer through the fog a little bit. Uh, so I, I I know that math demands I be wrong quite a bit. So I'm used to it. That's a good attitude to have. Well, Dan, we appreciate you coming on the show. 
we will have to figure out some sort of venue to have our three-hour Star Wars conversation. Oh, we, 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 can, we can make, next time we talk, we can make some more Star Wars analogies. <laughs> I'm going to get hey, to you, work on it. I'm going to start mapping out who is who in this scenario versus that scenario. I could go yeah, all deep well, with it. Yeah, I mean, we had, we had a productive podcast. We talked about ecto-coolers. We talked about Admiral Thrawn. Lots of Indian-related subjects. And we will probably edit everything but the ecto-cooler and grab Admiral Thrawn out of it. That's really all I think America wants. Yeah, just... Just the baseball stuff. You can get a lot of baseball. You don't get you don't get high C juice box analysis from many sources. That's what we're here for. Well, thanks again, Dan. It's been a pleasure. And thank you again to Zam Dan Zimbroski for joining us. That was a pretty great interview. I'd spoken with him once before, and we, we interact on Twitter semi-frequently, uh, and he's, he's a fun guy. Oh, yeah, definitely. So uh, getting right into our last segment today is going to be the Twitter questions. We had two today. First one from XC Warrior one which was, if you had to peg one of the minor league contracts to make it this year, which would it be? Any Scott, any Scott Kazmier impact types? Uh, the Indians signed a bunch of relievers, a bunch of outfielders. I don't personally see any of them being quite Scott Casimir, the what he was worth almost three war when he came back. I don't think either, any of these guys are going to be that. If there's anybody that's going to be close, I think it might be either Tommy Hunter or Craig Stamen. They're kind of the same situation. They were both injured or Hunter wasn't a minor league contract, but Craig Stamen, I think if they keep him on, they're going to owe him money. And I think he could be something good out of the bullpen. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think anyone's going to, do what Scott Casimir did. I don't think you should ever expect any, you know, guy who signs that kind of deal to work out. That was you know, a lottery ticket that hit. Um, in terms of most likely, yeah, I think one of those relievers, um, you know, there's just a pretty good chance that they're going to get an opportunity. Uh, and, you know, any reliever who's been decent in the recent past has, you know, a, a decent chance at doing the same thing again. So I think in terms of most likely, yeah, you're looking at those guys and the position player side. I mean, right now, Will Venable feels like less and less likely to get much of an opportunity because Naquin's playing so well. Um, I mean, yeah. he's basically it. You got that and there's, Shane Robinson. And yeah, there's not Bobby a lot Grossman. of particularly interesting candidates. Um, so yeah, I think hopefully one of those reliever, I mean, hopefully both of them, but you know, I'd be happy if one of those relievers turns out to be like a solid fifth arm in the bullpen would be, you know, frankly for the contract, a good result. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of telling that the Indians don't need him, need anybody to be that big um, lottery ticket. They have enough in place already that some of these guys just be above average. I think they'll be good. Yeah. But I don't know how many of the minor league deals even have room, which again is a good thing because the Indians already have such a filled out roster. Right. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're not in the situation they were a few years ago where it's like, oh, we really need someone to pan out from this group. Let's just hope it's Scott Casmir. <laughs> okay, so the second question from Bud, oh boy, 58831769. Will Tyler Naquin be the starting center fielder to begin the season? And when Almonte comes back, who is going to get the spot? Do you want to take that one first? Uh, sure. I more and more feel like he is going to get the job. Um, there's been a little discussion uh, about, uh, you know, the Indians. I actually just today wrote about how it's been literally decades since the Indians last had a rookie 
uh, opening day starter. Um, for anyone old enough to remember him, it was 30 years ago in 1986 uh, when the Indians catcher was Andy Allenson. And that was the last time the Indians started a rookie, which is the longest stretch for any team. Um, but I more and more feel like Naquin's going to be on the roster. In terms of a technicality, some people have pointed out that they're almost certainly going to be facing David Price on opening day. And since he's, uh, you know, platoon, potentially a platoon issue might mean Naquin's on the roster, but not actually in the lineup on opening day. Um, but since the, the heart of the question, I think, is, you know, who's going to be the regular center fielder, I'm starting to feel like it is going to be Naquin. How about you? Yeah, I'm feeling the same way. I don't know when. That suddenly started rising up, but all of a sudden I'm getting really excited about Naquin. All off season, I wasn't really paying attention to him, but even before spring training a little bit, it's just the idea of him playing center is getting more and more enticing if he can stay healthy. And the second part of the question, oh, go ahead. So I was just going to say, that I feel like the initial excitement was almost like the, <laughs> at least he doesn't, he's not someone who's already kind of failed at the major league level. So yeah, that's always what it's like, possible. hey, maybe, but then, and We've spent so much time talking about how spring training stats. You shouldn't put much into it. But he's playing really, really well so far. He's batting like 400-something, and it's only, you know, eight or nine games. Um, but he's got, you know, I think three or four extra base hits. He's made some nice plays in center field. Um, if you're looking for someone to get attached to in spring break, a, a minor leaguer putting up really good numbers, competing for a job, like that's the natural guy to be drawn to. Yeah, and I'll be the first to admit that I like getting overhyped about prospects. Last year it panned out with Lindor, not so much as Shallow, but I like watching prospects come up for the first time. After you watch them playing for so long in the grainy minor league baseball screens, it's great. <laughs> so the second part of his question is, when Almonte comes back, who's going to get the spot? If somebody's playing well enough, I don't see why they would stop that to give Almonte's position back. It's not like he played well enough last year to really cement his spot and they don't really owe him anything, so... I think if it's working out in center field, whoever's there is going to keep it. And if it's not, maybe Almonte get a chance. But I think the best case for Almonte in general is to be a fourth outfielder anyway. So that's what I think he'll be when he comes back. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like, I mean, that that question, that situation will take care of itself, you know, 80 games into the season. Uh, you know, if it's Naquin or whoever's playing center field, like you said, if they're playing well, um, Almonte's track record with the team isn't long enough that it makes sense to bump someone else who's playing well from a starting job. Uh, you know, I think when it, his suspension's up, he'll be on the roster. Uh, but like you said, if the three outfielders are, are, are playing well, then I think, you know, he starts one or two games a week filling in for guys. Uh, and, and that'll be kind of his role. Uh, and, you know, that's sort of one of the consequences of doing something that gets you taken off the field for half a season is if you're not a star, you know, you sort of lose your place in line. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's a big consequence for him, especially. Can, I mean, this was his, probably his job to lose in center field, I would think. Yeah, I think. Before so. this all happened. I think he just kind of. I think he did enough last year to be the front runner for the job. Right. And unless something went wrong for him in spring training, uh, but something went wrong for him. <laughs> He's kind of the in the situation that Naquin was in before. Almonte is in the situation that Naquin is in before Almonte got suspended. Where that, if he gets a chance to take it now, he really has to, or it's over for him, I think. Because if somebody else is outperforming him when he comes back, he doesn't have much of a chance to stick. Yeah, well, when Tyler Naquin is his generation's Lou Gehrig, Abraham Almonte <laughs> can be Wally Pip. There you go. Okay. So that feels like a short episode because, I mean, we did the interview 
spoiler alert, we did it way ahead of the recording, but... Well, not way yeah. ahead. Well, a little bit ahead. <laughs> it was the same night. <laughs> we did it last September, and I mean, things are a little outdated, but it'll be fun. Dan Zimborski with his 2013 Zips <laughs> projections here to talk to us tonight. How do you feel about Scott Kazmier? Do you think he'll be good? Yeah. So, I think it was a good show. I agree. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again in a week. Yep. And for anybody listening, if you want to submit any kind of feedback, I'm going to start including a little form in the bottom of the regular post on letsgochime.com. If you could fill that out with any kind of thing you want, you won't really hurt our feelings too much, I don't think. Maybe I'll cry a little. Sense. I'm sensitive, <laughs> but you won't hurt Matthew. <laughs> you will. I'll just cry internally and just bottle it all up. That's all. It'll come out in angry writing later on. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening. 